Hi, my name is Brian and I'm the pastor of Vision at Holy City Church. I'm glad that you found our online sermon resources and I pray that the Lord would use them to strengthen your faith. I would exhort you not to use our online sermon resources as a substitute for regular involvement in your own local church. That being said, I pray that our teaching resources would be helpful to you and conform you even more into the image of Christ. Acts 18, 18 to 23. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincre, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. They came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Uh, so I moved here October 2016 uh, from Louisville, moving back to South Carolina, where I'm originally from. Uh, moving from Louisville after finishing most of my theological training, uh, being sent by a church, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Louisville. And they sent me and uh, Drew and a small team of families, as well as one single woman, down to Charleston, South Carolina to plant a church in a needy city. And as a part of uh, a manual, uh, we, Holy City Church, is a local autonomous church, but we are a part of a network of churches uh, that are all tied to Emmanuel Baptist. And so the network of churches that we are a part of is called the Emmanuel Network. And every year in February, third uh, weekend in February each year for the past 10 years, uh, all of the church plants and church revitalizations and pastors who have been sent out or who have gone out uh, return for several days worth of teaching and encouragement and fellowship as well as getting reports on uh, missionaries in the Emmanuel Network, as well as church plants and church revitalizations. We give 3% of our budget to assist with the efforts of the Emmanuel Network. We have had pastors, numerous pastors, from the Emmanuel Network come and preach here. I have preached at several other Emmanuel Network churches. Uh, but this, this past year, uh, Pastor Andy Morris, who's the mission, global missions pastor at Emmanuel Baptist and the director of the Emmanuel Network, gave this update 10 years into us being a network. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it to you. Uh, Andy writes, This year we celebrate 10 years of the Emmanuel Network. As a network of churches, pastors, and missionaries, we have partnered together for an entire decade. The Lord has done a great work in allowing us to encourage, sharpen, and glean from one another. As I think about 10 years, it is both long and at the same time not that long. On the one hand, 10 years is long. 
In this decade, Emily and I have moved from being missionary partners living in Southeast Asia to being redirected by the Lord to North America, where I would become a pastor at Emmanuel and the network director. Ten years ago, I would not have imagined such a transition. In these ten years, the things we have collectively learned as a network and the trials we have endured all have great value and meaning as God forms us further into the image of His Son. The work of the Lord has done collectively in our partners' lives or what the, the, Lord, the work that the Lord has done collectively in our partners' lives is glorious. The name of Jesus has been proclaimed on five continents and through the ministry of at least 53 existing and new churches. The lost have found life in Christ. Weak churches have been cultivated toward health. New churches have been planted and now stand firm in the course of one decade. At the same time, a decade is something short. Many of our partners are now in their third, fourth, or fifth decade of life. Our dreams and goals for our church and individual walks with the Lord remain similar to what they were 10 and even 20 years ago. The work of the Lord began. He is carrying us on to completion. We have walked in the same direction, plodding toward Christ and His glory in our personal lives and in the church. One decade down, our vision and life breath remain the same. We aim to keep plodding forward for Christ's fame until that day when we meet him face to face. As a network, we help pastors plant and cultivate healthy churches for a global harvest. From our churches and communities, it can sometimes feel that our individual work is insignificant. Starting fledgling churches and sending out qualified men to pastor existing churches seems small. When the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch, it must have seemed a small and faithful thing to do. Barnabas was sent to care for those dispersed after Stephen's death and the new believers associated with them. Little did the leaders at Jerusalem know that in a few years, God would not only strengthen the saints at Antioch, but would bring many Gentiles to faith in Christ. And through the body at Antioch, plant many churches around an expansive region of the world. The Lord did more than they could have imagined. As our network plods forward into its second decade, let us not lose sight of the fact that the Lord is doing more than we can imagine. Supernatural work is happening through the cultivation of health in existing churches. New churches are being planted through pastors and their teams around the world and here in North America. Praise God, our collective work is advancing the gospel in some of the darkest regions on the planet. The churches represented in our network are bastions of the truth in a world full of people blinded by Satan and lost in their sin. These churches continue to shine the light of the gospel, are stabilizing in health, and are poised to send out more leaders in the future. Our collective efforts of prayer, support, sharpening, and encouragement are propelling this gospel into a lost and needy world. As we celebrate a decade, let's celebrate what God has done. Let's plot on together, and may we marvel in the future of how God works through our weakness. May we be found in Christ. Let's keep plotting. In Acts 18, verses 18 to 23, we see gospel partnerships, dependence on church networks, and Christians plotting forward for the sake of Christ. The Apostle Paul continues his work in Corinth, briefly moves to Ephesus with some new partners, Aquila and Priscilla, and then makes a long circular trip to both give reports to sending churches and then strengthen new saints and newly planted churches. So my hope this morning 
is that you saints will have a deeper vision for the church and that your love for the church will be inflamed. Two points this morning for those who are taking notes. And the first is this. Live surrendered to Christ's mission. Live surrendered to Christ's mission. Live surrendered to Christ's mission. Second point. Live submitted to Christ's church. Live submitted to Christ's church. Live submitted to Christ's church. As we continue in Acts 18, you'll remember that the Apostle Paul has left Athens. He preached at the Areopagus or Mars Hill. He's now landed in Corinth. Corinth was a significant city in Greece, a major trade hub for the Roman Empire. Paul rightly saw Corinth as a strategic city for a local church and for further gospel ministry. Two weeks ago, we saw resistance to the gospel from the Jews at the Corinthian synagogue. As in other cities and with Jesus himself, the first century unbelieving Jews refused to see Jesus as the promised Messiah and seek to use the power of the state to punish Paul and his church plants, as well as to suppress the Christian faith by having Christianity deemed an illicit religion. The Lord turns this evil on its head The unbelieving Gentile proconsul Gallio refuses to hear the Jewish complaints, affirms the freedom of Christians to practice the faith in the empire, and he tosses out the case. We see Paul stay at least for a year and a half in Corinth, laboring to see Corinthians, Jew and Gentile, repent and believe, strengthening the church, leading us to verse 18 in our first point. Live surrender to Christ's mission. You'll remember when we looked at verses 9 and 10 two weeks ago, we see that the Lord Jesus gives Paul three exhortations that Jesus grounds in three unbreakable promises. One, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Two, go on speaking. Three, don't be silent. Three commands for Paul. But as with the Lord, the Lord doesn't just tell you what to do. He promises to be with you as he commands you to obey. So what what does the Lord tell Paul? Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. And all of these are grounded upon the promise of, I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. And I have many in this city who are my people, which is the foundational hope for our evangelism and missions. The regular pattern of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament is to command his his people's obedience while giving them precious promises to cling to in the midst of the obedience of faith. Paul leans into these particular promises for 18 months as he intentionally stays in Corinth to teach and strengthen this new Jew-Gentile church in this vibrant Greek city in the Roman Empire. 
And we see in verses 18 to 21 that Paul stayed a while longer in Corinth. Now, how long, we don't know. Before making his way to Ephesus with new partners. And in Ephesus, we see again his normal, deliberate pattern of engaging the Jews at the synagogue with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Luke mentions a vow that Paul had made, possibly a Nazarite vow from number 6, where he cuts his hair. If this is the case, we see that Paul hasn't abandoned his Jewish identity. Though Paul is willing to become all things to all men in order that all might be saved. If it's a Nazarite vow in this particular section, Paul might have taken the vow in order to give thanks for the Lord's protection for past uh, issues like Gallio being protected from uh, the Jew and Gentiles who are opposed to the gospel in Corinth, that the Lord had kept him safe. Uh, the vow, whether he's doing it for giving thanks or for something else, this Nazarite vow is going to require him to go to Jerusalem and then to offer the cut hair as a sacrifice at the temple. Which makes sense of his travel route in verse 22. He travels from Ephesus to Caesarea, then likely to Jerusalem, and then to Antioch. We don't quite know what kind of vow he takes. Luke doesn't give us the details. I'm not going to go into vows and weird things that you should do with vows and cutting hair and all this kind of stuff. Clearly this is contextual. What we do see in Ephesus, however, is Paul's dependence on gospel partners, Aquila and Priscilla. Paul's dependence on the Spirit's direction for where he is to go. And we look at, when we look at verses 18 and 19, we see both the single man Paul. I don't want to overlook these things that we just simply assume as we're reading the text and kind of gloss over it very quickly. We see both the single man Paul and the married couple Aquila and Priscilla working together, and all of them are living deliberately for Christ as kingdom-minded people. We talked about this two weeks ago. We saw the necessity of being kingdom-minded in the advance of the gospel, thinking strategically about where we are and what we're doing, and how it can be used to advance the good news of Jesus crucified for sinners. Paul, the single man, lays it all out for Christ. So I want to spend some time talking to singles, singles, unmarried Christians. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, which I addressed some time back, you can go there to hear what I teach from 1 Corinthians 7 on singleness, but the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 teaches that it's good to remain single for the sake of Christ. Now that's completely counterintuitive, completely countercultural. Intentionally staying single for Christ. Not staying single so that you can live your best life now. Not staying single so that you can do whatever you want. And freedom to travel or whatever. Like that's the world. But staying single for the sake of advancing the gospel in this lost and dying world. That is countercultural. That's the Apostle Paul. And that's our Savior King Jesus. 
So he teaches in 1 Corinthians 7 that it's good to remain single for the sake of Christ, assuming that you've got that particular gifting and that you can exercise self-control. Those are the two qualifications he gives in 1 Corinthians 7. But single men and women, whether you have the gift of singleness or not, if you are single, you are, you are currently single whether you want to be or not, right? Whether you have the gifting or not. You need to see the Apostle Paul's willingness to reach all kinds of people by leveraging everything he has for the sake of Christ. So, single Christians, what are you leveraging for the sake of Christ? Paul uses his advanced theological education and training for the sake of Christ in his church. Paul uses his Jewish ethnicity for the sake of Christ in his church. Paul uses his Roman citizenship for the sake of Christ in his church. Paul uses his singleness for the sake of Christ in his church. Paul uses his sufferings, including court cases and beatings, for the sake of Christ in his church. Paul uses his spiritual gifts for the sake of Christ in his church. Paul uses his trades, tent making, leather work, for the sake of Christ and his church. Every sphere of Paul's life, he uses it for the sake of Christ. His church in the advance of the gospel. Paul is deliberate in his mind, his heart, his efforts. And what does Paul say to you and me? What does he say? Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. He says that specifically to these Corinthians in Acts 18. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, and 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. So I ask again, single men and women, what are you leveraging for the sake of Christ? And I don't want the married couples, particularly the parents, to tune out and say, well, he's not hammering me now. <laughs> are you raising your kids in such a way that you tell them, it, it maybe singleness for the sake of Christ is what you should is what you should pursue. Maybe singleness for Christ and you being used mightily to see sinners saved is a far better heritage than grandchildren you can give me. It's not saying that all of our children need to be single. We do need to do our best to uphold social security as much as possible in our nation. But, are, are you even having these conversations with your kids? Do your kids even have a framework for understanding that maybe when I grow up I don't get married, not so that I can just do whatever I want, but so that I can be used mightily for the sake of Christ? Something to consider. So, married couples, parents, don't tune me out during this. All of these things are still true of you in terms of general commands, but think about those singles in your lives that you can encourage to seriously consider these things. So single men, women, boys, girls, what are you leveraging for the sake of Christ? How are you using your singleness, this period, contrary to what you might believe, because I've heard it from many of y'all, this period where you will have the most freedom and the most time 
in your life, I cannot tell you how many singles are like, man, I'm so busy. <laughs> like, you're talking to a guy, husband and six kids and two jobs, all right? This period where even if you are incredibly busy, you still have the most freedom and the most time that you'll ever have. How are you using your singleness for the sake of Christ and His church? Are you using your student status to evangelize, start Bible studies on campus? Are you using your trade as a platform for evangelism? Who are you discipling? These are questions that you should ask yourself. Do you see your studies, your trade work, your future career all through the lens of Christ's kingdom? It's so easy for us to read these passages, just gloss through. Yeah, Paul traveled here, and Aquila and Priscilla, they traveled with him, and then he left there, and he went over here, without really stopping and understanding what that actually cost all of these people. And understanding that we've been, we have been saved to the same Christ, called to the same mission, just in a different time and in a different place. How do you use your evenings? How do you use your stuff? Do you own your possessions for the sake of Christ or do your possessions own you? I, I praise God for, his, for clear evidences of grace. This morning I'm at the check-in station. Checking in Holy City Kids. And both of our Holy City Kids classrooms are being served by singles. Serving you parents. Serving your children. I praise God that Trebo helps to lead us in music monthly. I praise God that Mary Rose Koenig a teen is regularly serving on the, on the music team. And Christ died for you. And it's odd to not see Mary Rose up here. That's how much she serves. All I'm encouraging is for these, to rea- for these realities to be fanned into flame. Just more. Let's get the flame hotter. The flame for Christ Let's get it bigger, let's get it hotter, and let's see what the Lord will do. If you're unmarried, whether you desire to be married or not, in this moment where you're unmarried, I want you to see Jesus and Paul as your two supreme moral examples in this life. Jesus came to save you from your sins, and he came to save you like, and, and, to, and to be more than just a moral example. But it wasn't less than that either. It wasn't less than being a moral example. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 12 says, like, consider him who suffered, Christ Jesus, as the supreme model for faith. I want you to see Jesus and Paul. You can't go wrong in imitating the hearts and the mindsets of Jesus and Paul, even if your actions look different today. And, and, And before you tell me, That comparing yourself to the Apostle Paul or to Jesus 
isn't fair. First off, we can't have a, a, a weird view of Jesus. He was truly and fully man. Okay? We didn't have this blending of divine and human natures. They are distinct. We need a human savior and a human high priest. He really did obey as a man. And like comparing yourself, well, he's the Apostle Paul. That's not fair. I agree with you. Paul was the worst of sinners. You aren't. You have a head start on him. It's not a fair comparison. But you, Paul, and Jesus all share the same Spirit of God who empowers your efforts in love and holiness and advancing the gospel. And what I want to persuade you single saints of, as much as it's up to me, is that God has a much grander vision for your earthly life than simply you working to make a buck. Spending hours in entertainment each week and living to be happy as the world defines happiness. You were made for more than that. Why not exhaust yourself for God's kingdom? What do you have to lose? Do you think when you stand before King Jesus, He will say, you worked way too hard? As you look at his hands and his feet. Isn't the gospel true? Isn't Jesus raised from the dead? Isn't he the king of all of creation? Isn't his return imminent? Isn't he ushering in a new creation and a kingdom for you when he appears? If these things are true, my beloved unmarried saints, for what and for whom are you living? And I want you to hear Paul's heart here. To these same Corinthians. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11. King Jesus warned us all not to be lazy, right? Not to get caught napping while the master is away. Are we living today in light of that last day? Uh a fellow pastor in the Emmanuel Network. Uh, he was a former missionary in China. And he was talking to a, one of his very close uh, Chinese friends living in China. And he had led this Chinese man to the Lord during his missionary days. And so this Emmanuel Network pastor who's now living in the States, he's pastoring a church, church plant, he was sharing that a group of young people were from his church, met together at his house for Bible study. And when the friend heard this pastor's comment, the Chinese man's first question in Mandarin was, is it safe? Because in China, it's illegal to teach the Bible to minors. 
Now, praise God, we live in a free nation. But his question that he was asking the pastor in light of this was, how are we using our freedoms? So I want to ask you, single saints, how are you using your freedom? Do you see the Apostle Paul as a genuine model to imitate in how you live? Is he a Christian superhero who will always be out of your reach? Are you ever going to be an apostle in the office? No. No. But can you be faithful like Paul? Absolutely you can. Look at Paul as a brilliant example of what it means to go hard for the sake of Christ. In all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Be the godliest student. Be the godliest business owner, the godliest tradesman, the godliest employee. Run hard after Christ. When you look at Paul's work throughout Acts 18 amongst these Corinthians, I want you to see the work that he's doing here. But I want you to look at Paul's words to these same Corinthian saints Revealing what drives his actions. Why does he live the way that he lives? Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 5. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Single brothers, sisters, be the best church members. Be the hardest working saints in evangelism. Be the Christians who are the most frequent in bringing your elders ideas for gospel ministry in the city. Not simply for the sake of working hard. Not simply because one of your pastors was dogging you recently in a sermon. About having to do more as a single Christian. Not simply because you're checking off your Christian to-do list. But because Christ lived and He labored and He died and He rose in order to reconcile you to the God who created you and who has redeemed you from your sins. When you read the gospel accounts and you see that the single man Christ obeyed in every single moment of every single day. Christ obeyed in every single thought every single word, every single decision, and every single temptation, every single act of his life from birth to death, he obeyed. Why? In order to win you to God. Raise you from the dead. Seat you with him in heaven. When you read the Gospels and you see that the incarnate Son of God obeyed in his life and death, so that you might be one from unbelief, that you might be kept from sin, that you might be kept from falling away, that you might receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, why, why wouldn't you want to do all things for His glory and count the loss of things in this life for His sake as like just total garbage in comparison to knowing 
and being known by Him. Love for Christ must be what's driving your living for the sake of Christ. Living for Christ in this world must flow out of your genuine love for and faith in Jesus. I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. The indicative precedes the imperative. Who you are in Christ precedes what you do for Him. That's why Paul in nearly every one of his letters starts with the gospel, reminds his listeners who they are, and then tells them, in light of who you are, now live this way. The gospel that you proclaim has got to be the thing that is driving how you live and the decisions that you're making. But it's not just singles who are called to live for Christ. And not just live for Christ, live all out for Christ. Now, Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says, like, hey, a married man has lots of worldly concerns. He's got to live in such a way that he's loving his wife, he's pleasing her, he's living with a family, he's got to care for them, and that's what the Lord has given to him, and that's true, but that's not exhaustive. And as I said last week, Aquila and Priscilla were a Christian man and woman, husband and wife, who worked a trade, tent making and leather work, and their trade afforded them the opportunity to get up move around as needed, and to minister for Christ's sake in whatever city God placed them. For a time they were in Corinth. They got booted out of Rome. And so they landed in Corinth. They started laboring for Christ there. But then Aquila and Priscilla picked up. They traveled to Ephesus in order to help Paul. Paul has left Corinth in good hands for the time being. He's left Timothy and Silas right, to continue to minister to the church there. And it seems from 1 Corinthians 16, 19, that Aquila and Priscilla have a house in Ephesus. Because Paul says they they send their greetings to the Corinthians from their home in Asia, which would be Ephesus. And not just their home, but the church in their house. We saw two weeks ago that they uh, he's sending greetings. Uh, from Aquila and Priscilla, the household uh, of their Roman church. Aquila and Priscilla are clearly a couple with some means. I don't have two houses. Now, granted, my one house is probably a bajillion times better than their two houses. Right? But for what they had, they are clearly a couple with some means. But possessions don't hinder their abilities to help the gospel advance. Rather, this moderately well-to-do couple leverages what they have for the sake of Christ, the proclamation of the gospel, and the advance of God's kingdom through the church. As we saw two weeks ago, there is eventually a church that will be housed in this couple's house in Rome. So they clearly use their housing extensively to serve the needs of the young congregations in Ephesus and Rome. In Luke's narrative, Aquila and Priscilla seem to serve as a sort of foil or a comparison to another couple from earlier in Acts. Ananias and Sapphira from Acts 5. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the apostles to the Holy Spirit about the voluntary sale of their property in order to look godlier than they were. They didn't have to sell their property, but they decided to. But then they withheld some of the, the money back and then said that they were giving the full amount. And then the Holy Spirit strikes them both dead. That's what they did. 
Now, Aquila and Priscilla, what do they do? They keep their houses. They don't sell their houses. They keep their houses and allow their homes to be used by at least two different local churches, two different congregations, and two different cities for their corporate worship gatherings. Luke's point, be like Aquila and Priscilla. Don't be like Ananias and Sapphira. Don't be a couple who wants to appear godlier than they are while actually living in deception. God will not be mocked. He will not be tricked. And you will stand before Him on the last day. And we also see, this is, this is such good news, especially when you, when you see Paul and you're like, man, he's way out of my, out of my league. We, we see that showing hospitality isn't a small thing in the eyes of the Lord. Opening up your home to serve the church isn't a small thing to Christ. Because if, if giving a cup of water to one of Christ's people is the equivalent of giving a cup of water to Christ himself, then opening up your home to a whole bunch of Christ people in order to host or house a local church is the same as opening up your home to Christ himself. We'll see in the next passage, Aquila and Priscilla are also used to help, uh, help correct Apollos. We needed correcting. But for now, I just want to emphasize the importance of ordinary acts of obedience because the Lord takes ordinary acts of obedience and uses them to accomplish His cosmic and redemptive purposes in the world. If they had a house, Aquila and Priscilla used it for the sake of the kingdom and for Christ's church, whether to house an apostle or a local church. They gave their time, their properties, their goods, their resources up for the good of Christ's church in order to make much of Jesus Christ. These two ordinary but faithful saints were used by an extraordinary and faithful God. And their, and, and their names are recorded in God's word because of simple faithfulness. So Aquila and Priscilla, they pick up and they left Corinth probably with lots of sadness. Because God was calling them to serve alongside Paul. If the Lord allows us in the years to come to plant a church, Lord willing churches, some of you will need to leave our congregation in order to join this new work of planting a healthy local church in a needy area in order to see more and more people won to Christ. Now, do I want members of this church to leave? Absolutely not. Do I want members of this Congregation to leave for the right reasons? Absolutely. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe, if the Lord wills it, there will be a godly couple in our congregation who will be able to house this new church plant. At least until the new church can afford a property of its own. I, I, don't, I don't know. But we see Christians in the New, in the new Testament doing this. Why can't we do that? But my desire as one of your pastors is to see that saints whom God has entrusted to me at this time are willing to do what is necessary to see the gospel of Jesus Christ advance in our city and to the ends of the earth. That's what I want to... I, I want to stand before the Lord and like hear Him say, well done. Well done with the people I entrusted to you. There's bumbling and stumbling. You're an idiot, but I love you. 
Well done. I'm thankful that I don't have to simply point to Acts 18 to show you a couple or a family that is willing to make life-altering decisions in order to see the church advance. As I look out on the congregation, there are like six families that like picked up and they moved 600 plus miles. Many of them like not knowing where they're going to work, where they're going to live, where they were, I mean, they knew where they were going to gather, but they didn't know who their friends were going to be. Why did they move? In order to plant a church in a city that needed a new church. There's six couples who called a vision of what the Lord was doing at Holy City Church, and with the Council of Emmanuel Baptist Church elders and members and Holy City Church elders, they made a decision to move 600 plus miles away from Louisville. Many of them moving further away from Blood Family. Drew is always whining about how far away from Minnesota he is. <laughs> many of them, many of them moving further away from their families to help plant this church. I can't imagine where Holy City Church would be if it weren't for the faithfulness of these families. I mean, beyond just the Powells, beyond the McFarlands, beyond the Osterns, which it it cost us much to move here and to labor. But for others to move here and labor for Christ's sake in this needy city, Jake and Lydia Berryhill, Mike and Chandler Durth, John and Anna Kesselring, all of these couples are worthy imitations of Aquila and Priscilla. Moving to a new city to assist in planting a new church, proclaiming the gospel to the lost, showing hospitality, helping Holy City Church elders to minister to our congregation. Like, you can look at Acts 18, but you can also look at them. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Scott and Suzanne Koenig. Anytime I'm talking about hospitality, I'm going to talk about the Koenigs. Models of hospitality, literally having all of Holy City over to your house countless occasions. I can't even remember how many times. I mean, we couldn't meet at their house if we needed to. Something, hurricane came through, hit the building, didn't hit your house, we'd be at the Canings. Timothy and Robin Wood sold their home in West Ashley, literally moved next door to Holy City Church to be able to minister on James Island and serve. The woods are now so close that they have, they have, frequently printed CC documents on my printer in my office. Classical conversation, homeschooling. That, that is how close they wanted to be in order to help minister in our community and then use the church's Wi-Fi in my printer. <laughs> Brendan and Daniel Campbell have literally discipled and taught basically every young adult at Holy City Church, as well as showing hospitality to all of them week in and week out. And now Brendan's even got the, the haircut to go hard for the sake of Christ. Right? Go hard. The Lord uses weak, ordinary saints like all of these couples to raise the dead, strengthen the saints, and advance His kingdom. And that's what we're seeing in Acts 18. It, it's not rocket science. It's not crazy. But it will, it, it will cost you everything. But you will gain everything. Second point. Live submitted to Christ Church. Verses 20 to 23.
the Lord is calling Paul uh, away temporarily from Ephesus in verse 20. Uh, while I'm sure that Paul had many good reasons to stay and to continue the work in Ephesus, he had a pressing need to move on to give a report back to his sending churches in Jerusalem and Antioch. Paul would return if God wills. Paul's trips weren't up to him, if God wills. Paul's trips, he was led by the Spirit. And we see that Paul's trips were either, one, to establish a new local church, two, to strengthen an existing local church, or three, to give a report to the mother church, Jerusalem and Antioch. To give a report as to what God was doing, receive guidance and counsel from the other apostles and the elders. Paul traveled for the sake of Christ and his church, not for himself. In Acts 18, Paul was led by the Spirit of Christ to continue the work elsewhere. The Lord would bring Paul back to Ephesus eventually. We'll see that a little bit later. But Paul needed to first take a 1,500-plus mile circular trip back to sending churches and then to the churches from his first and second missionary journeys to strengthen them. Paul being, quote, led by the Spirit and, quote, if God wills, was not independent of Christ's church. It wasn't independent of the church. Too often today, people say that they're being led by the Spirit, I'm doing God's will. But their actions are very much in line with what they want and often have very little to do with the church, Christ's bride. We must not be so easily self-deceived. Paul heads to Jerusalem, verse 22. He went up and greeted the church. That's talking about Jerusalem. And then to Antioch. Paul isn't an apostle, but he doesn't work independently of Christ's church. He works on behalf of Christ and his church. And whether when there was a legitimate theological issue or dispute in Acts 15, what happens? Paul and Barnabas are teaching correctly. Gentiles are saved by faith alone and Christ alone. They are not saved on uh, the condition of them keeping the old covenant law and certainly not being circumcised. They were rightly teaching these things. They rightly understood that the old covenant had found its fulfillment in Christ and his new covenant. But then they go back to Jerusalem, submit themselves to the apostles and to the church there, and they all agree. Paul and Barnabas go back. Why? So that there would be unity in mind and spirit. Not because they thought they were wrong, but because they wanted to be on the same page with the church that sent them to Antioch. Again, Paul has been assigned his particular apostolic ministry by the risen Lord Jesus. But Paul didn't execute that assignment apart from local churches. He didn't do it. Jesus called him to be an apostle, but Paul was always working alongside and with churches. Paul wasn't a lone ranger. Mercy. He was not the common American Christian. He was not a lone ranger. He didn't have the, the, the mindset of, you're not the boss of me. 
He wouldn't have any framework for an orthodox, healthy Christian who tried to live and worship independent of a local church. Too many professing Christians see church as something that you do, somewhere that you go, rather than who you are. And if you see that you are the church, then that might change how you're living your life. Because it's not just one box. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. God has united you to Christ by faith. You are the church. So be the church. What does Paul's actions in Acts 18 look like for us? How do we apply Paul's pattern to dependence on churches? His encouragement of interdependence between churches. We saw earlier Acts 18, the Philippians, we see it from Philippians 4... The Philippians gave in order to free up Paul in Corinth to be able to minister. It was other churches who were providing the financial support for Paul to be able to minister to people in and around another city that were unknown to the donors that were giving. Many of the Emmanuel members who gave generously in order to support Holy City, they didn't know any of you. But they gave in order to be faithful to Jesus... Knowing that Jesus, had be, who was rich, became poor for their sake. So they were serving you without knowing who you were by giving to us. The same thing with the Philippians in Corinth. It was the churches in Jerusalem and Antioch that gave Paul his initial team members, as well as a letter of authority he could take to the Gentile churches. The Apostle Paul and his team worked together in this early church network. Today, like we, we, we try to do something similar. The Holy City. We're part of the South Carolina Baptist Convention. We're part of the Charleston Baptist Association. If you're not a member of Holy City and you just came in, you found out we were Baptists, welcome. I, I know I tricked you by not having three points, but we are, we are Baptistic. We regularly pray for other Charleston Baptist Association churches, and we have nearly every Sunday for seven and a half years. We're not here to build our kingdom. We're here to build Christ's kingdom. We're also part of the Emmanuel Network of Churches. It was my great joy, as I've said, to gather last week with the elders, the the sending members of that church, Emmanuel in Louisville. When our Holy City Church contingent of saints arrived at Emmanuel in Louisville on Thursday, we had three to four days to update the Emmanuel elders, members, who supported us financially as well as through prayer, through coaching, through regular monthly pastoral fellowship Zoom calls, among other things. Now, while Holy City Church is an autonomous church, meaning our congregation, not another local church or a synod or some other governing body, has final authority on church membership and discipline, we strongly believe that Scripture teaches that it's good to live in a network of like-minded churches And to have accountability with our sending church. I think that's what you see in Acts 18, and that's what we want to emulate. While we were at the annual Emmanuel Network Conference last week, our Holy City Church team sat under excellent teaching from the book of Philippians from a variety of pastors in Emmanuel Network churches, including our own Pastor Drew. There were numerous teaching sessions. Some were devoted to pastors. Some were devoted to wives. Some were devoted to preachers. Some to families, and some to pastoral friendship. 
We received updates from a number of Emmanuel Network missionaries and local churches for whom we pray regularly, and in some cases we support financially. Elise and I were able to be on a panel consisting of the first three church planning couples that had gone out from Emmanuel Baptist. So we sat on a, a panel on Friday night with Matt and Annie DeLauder, who went to Emmanuel Community Church in New Orleans. Many of you will remember uh, that, we, that we went there, a group of us went there, and they have the most wonderful soffits of any building in that city <laughs> because I installed them. They're gorgeous. And then also on the panel was Rocky and Emily Komatsu, Waihu Community Church on Maui. I preached there in 2019, and our church has given them over $5,000 over the past several years. We gave them $2,000 this past year to help with uh, them assisting people who had lost everything with the Maui wildfires. Our church planning panel was able to share, the Emmanuel, share with the Emmanuel Network churches and the Emmanuel Baptist members about our experiences and our lessons learned over nearly a decade of church planting, particularly as there were many Emmanuel Network uh, churches that had qualified men there who were looking to possibly plant churches in the future. We were able to connect with Pastor Jones Enzi, some of y'all's favorite pastor. He's also my favorite preacher. We've had to come, and he's, he's come and preached here twice. We got to sit under the teaching of Pastor Ryan Fullerton. He preached here in the summer of 2017. We were able to connect with Luke Peterson and Anthony Leitner, Kenny Oliver, Pastor Andy Morris, as well as their families, all of whom have served Holy City Church in a multitude of ways, whether it was like helping us put a roof back on our building after Hurricane Dorian took it off, or doing fifty dollars to $75,000 worth of construction and deferred maintenance work when we first received the building, installing multiple HVAC units. Luke Peterson has put in like four or five HVAC units for us. These saints have served us numerous times, helped provide financial support for us, and regularly pay, pray for our congregation. It was good to update them on what the Lord is doing here. We received updates from the Metcalfs, Emmanuel Network and International Mission Board missionaries in Mexico, who as of our 2023 Emmanuel Network Summit last year, had shared, after years of laboring there, they had not seen a convert in these remote villages in Mexico. Emmanuel Network churches began praying specifically for them, and Phil was able to report this year, despite him, he and Laura having tons of health issues, they were able to see a handful of conversions since our last gathering. We heard from missionaries who are in Southeast Asia, as well as some saints laboring in the Middle East. Our team received an update from the Emmanuel missionary Noah Stone, whom we support financially. He's come here and, and shared. Uh, Noah was telling us and giving us updates on language and translation work for a particular people group in Central Asia, a people group that Paul, where Paul traveled in Acts 18. Noah's in a German university this term, studying advanced linguistics in order to aid the translation work that's ongoing with Wycliffe, Bible translators. Another Emmanuel Network missionary, Josh Koenig, is still laboring in Emmanuel Community Church in New Orleans, while also helping to connect Western theologically trained pastors with 
pastors overseas who have not had any theological training. Pastor Ryan Fullerton, as well as the elders and saints at Emmanuel Baptist, send you greetings and love. Pastor Andrew Hanna and the saints at Harvest Church in New Orleans send you their greetings. Pastor Jay Haynes and the saints at Kahalua Baptist Church on Maui send their greetings and are praying specifically for Holy City Church this morning when they gather in like mm, three hours. Like Paul, it's important to live in an interdependent, interconnected network of local churches who can support one another financially as well as in prayer and fellowship and acts of service and in guest preaching. It was so encouraging to be at the Emmanuel Network Summit this past week. And what I want each member of Holy City Church to understand is that what you see happening in Acts 18 really is happening all over the world. It should be relatively normal for the church. My hope is that more of our congregation would be willing and able to join us next year at the Emmanuel Network Summit and worship alongside Emmanuel Baptist Saints and other network partners. I would love for us to have a larger group that goes next, next year. I was, even, I was able to see David's brother who's at Emmanuel. Like Paul, it's good to spend time with like-minded saints to live submitted to the church. Like Paul, it's good to reconnect with partner churches and to give updates. And in our last verse, verse 23, we see that it isn't just evangelism that's important to Paul. Paul isn't simply interested in getting people into God's house, but also keeping them in God's house. Paul travels to Jerusalem to Antioch, then back through his previous missionary routes to strengthen the young church plants he had left in the various Gentile cities. Paul understood that the lost needed to hear the gospel preached, but so do saints. Saints need to be regularly strengthened by the gospel. And beloved, the same gospel that saved you is the gospel that keeps you. I would encourage you, you can't get too good at proclaiming the gospel to yourself and others. There won't be a point where you just like arrive. You will get better and better. Keep practicing this discipline. You don't outgrow your need to hear and apply the good news of Christ crucified and raised for sinners. And as the Lord grows you in maturity over time, you get better and better at applying the same gospel to all the various nooks and crannies of your heart and your mind as the Lord puts the flesh to death. Paul cared about the lost. He cared about the saints. It's not evangelism or discipleship. It's evangelism and discipleship. Paul shows us a life committed to accomplishing both in the church. Discipleship without evangelism will slowly lead to stagnation, decline, and eventual church death. But evangelism without discipleship will eventually lead to false teaching or heresy, immorality, and then eventually church death. Paul lived to serve Christ and his bride, the church, through seeing sinners saved and saints strengthened by the gospel. We must likewise see Christ as all-precious and live surrender to Christ's mission and submission to Christ's church. May God cause us to grow in love for Christ and his church, to fervently preach the gospel, whether we're single or married, and to live dependent upon one another and other local church partners so that the world might know that Christ is is risen, and he's reigning.